You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, we're going to dive into the Word together. Looking at, we're going to be in a few places to start, but I'm going to start with Revelation chapter 2. Verse 17 is one of many promises to the overcoming church. There's seven messages to seven churches at the beginning of Revelation that are all messages to uh, each one of them unique because each church faced unique challenges in their uh, geographic region, of course, in their time, where they lived, uh, what challenges uh, were sent their way. Some of them dealt with uh, false prophets, false teachers, false apostles even. They dealt with uh, deception. They, others dealt with uh, immorality and compromise, first from the culture around them, but then uh, more, more seriously, even within the church. And uh, some of them, even like the, the final church, Laodicean church's uh, biggest problem was apathy, which was even more subtle and perhaps more dangerous than the others because it was uh, less noticed uh, and less recognized. But uh, in Revelation 2.17, every one of the challenges Jesus in his messages to the churches ended with a promise, ended with a uh, encouragement that who, whoever overcame, these were the things that, uh, that he would do. And uh, I want to just look at part of this. In verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. And jumping down to the last part of the verse, he says, I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name. Can everybody just say new name? There's a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. I've got three points for you today. The first point is this. Jesus gives us a new name and a new nature. Uh, We see in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, and then he formed, uh, beginning, you know, going through the the creatures in the sea and going on to land, the plants, all of that, uh, that God then at the pinnacle of creation creates what, what is unique among all creation. He creates man in his own image. He creates a male and female. He creates mankind, places them in the Garden of Eden, and then, as uh, before, he brings Eve to Adam. He he brings all of the animals to pass before Adam to to see what Adam would call them. Adam assigns a name to each animal that's brought uh, as God brings these pairs of animals. And of course, it's kind of a setup if you know the story. As God's showing him that each one of these uh, animals has a pair, each one of them to really show his his need for his help his help made as he would bring his wife Eve. But uh, in the story, God says that he would name them the Hebrew word for name is a word shem, which means literally to mark or to brand. Now, uh, we kind of have this kind of new cultural idea that uh, when we find a name, maybe you found a name for your kids in a baby name book. You know, there's tens every year, there's like the top 10 names of what's trending that year and uh, what's, what's common and you know, it's, uh, for us, there's a lot of reasons we choose a name, but uh, biblically speaking, they assigned a name and, and it carried this idea of branding or marking somebody, that it wasn't just the name that they would have on their birth certificate, how they were identified, but it was something that spoke to a, a deep characteristic of their life. It prophesied who they were and who they were to be. 
And so it carried weight. It carried significance. It actually carried authority. A name was significant. And uh, that's why the Bible places so much importance on a name, because it can direct somebody's life. And Jesus comes to bring redemption. He brings us forgiveness that no matter what, uh, not just naturally, of course, we've been named by our parents, but there's a lot of labels, a lot of things we've carried because of our history. We've carried the name of shame, of regret, of guilt, of, uh, of, of hurt, of loss, of betrayal. And Jesus comes to bring us a new name. He gives us a new name and a new nature. So I've, I've gotten into trouble a few times in my sermons. And the, the number one thing I've gotten into trouble for is my comments about my dog. Because usually I'll say something about the dog, and then somebody will say something to my wife who's up in, in the kids' ministry second service about uh, my feelings about the dog. And so I actually wanted to address that for just a moment. This isn't terribly important, but I have to address why I refer to the dog this way, other than the fact that he's hijacked my entire life. Uh, we rescued this dog from a rescue shelter in Florida, uh, although my dog doesn't feel rescued right now as he's in the Midwest, and I've taken him from Florida, uh, and he stares out the window wondering why he can't go for a walk. Uh, but when we rescued the dog, they had already assigned a name to this dog. They had already assigned to a name. He's, he's a mutt. I don't know if anybody else has a mutt. This dog is not just a mutt. I think he comes from a long line of you know mutts on both sides. Uh, so we have no idea. They couldn't even identify what he is. And so uh, my wife's convinced that we should do a DNA test on the dog, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, so they assigned the name to this dog, Gentry. And Gentry, to me, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't convey, like, I want something like Spike, like something tough. And so Gentry is like, you know, a dog that would be lounging around that would be waited on that would be served and and so I thought why don't we give this dog a tough name that's going to speak to who he's going to be and so we named him Hunter we got him from the, the shelter unfortunately the branding had already happened because I wanted to call him a hunter because I wanted this dog to be my hunting dog I wanted this dog to he like somewhere in his pedigree he's got to have some some hunting dog uh, and and as you can see in this first picture um, if you can bear with me for just a moment uh, my dog's kissing the deer at East Park in this picture <laughs> you can show the next one too as you can see he's not much of a hunter he's more of a gentry <laughs> So I'm trying to convey why I feel the way I do about the dog, although Jenna secretly says I, I like the dog. Um, but anyway, he is, he is great. But uh, unfortunately, the damage has been done. Uh, but Jesus doesn't just give us a new name. He changes our nature, which is a reflection of the new identity we have. He marks us and he transforms us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this about what Jesus has done for us, that it actually affects the way we relate first to God and then to other people. It says, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Why do we worship? Why do we serve? Why do we love? Why do we do all the things? Why do we forgive when we've been hurt? Why do we do all the things we do? It all goes back to what Jesus has done for us. That we no longer live for ourselves because heaven purchased us, heaven redeemed us, heaven re uh, forgave us through the cross, through what Jesus accomplished. He died for all. That's you and for me. 
And so that's that's our first uh, the thing that changes our nature is that we're no longer we're we're predisposed to be self-centered, but Jesus changes our nature so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for God and we live to reach people and love people. Verse 16, therefore. In light of this, from now on, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh, so we're not looking at people just in what we see. See, most names are assigned, and even in biblical history, we'll see this in a few examples, that people were given a name not based on their promise, not based on their potential, not based on what God saw, but based on their pain, based on the pain of their parents, based on something that didn't go well. And so one generation, you know, my wife shared that verse uh, during worship about generations passing faith on. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Sometimes what we inherit isn't faith. It's actually more and more hurt and, and other things. And so, so here's, the, here's the good news about Jesus. Jesus changes what we receive. Jesus changes, you know, you may not have been dealt many good cards. You may have not been given much, but Jesus rewrites the story. Jesus gives you a new beginning, a new future, a new hope. So we no longer have to regard others just based on what we see, but instead on what heaven sees. Because Jesus paid the price. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Jesus, you have a new name. You have a new nature. Here's what he says. You're a new creation. You've heard me say this before. But Jesus didn't come to make bad men better. He came to make dead men live. He, he came to make you a new creation. He came to redeem and purchase you and I. We're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. God said of Israel in Isaiah 62, Israel had experienced a season based on their own really idolatry and turning away and departing from God. They had, 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 had experienced loss and, and uh, separation, but here's what God had promised in their redemption. He says, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness, verse 2, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Verse 4, you shall no longer be termed forsaken. You shall, your land shall no longer be termed desolate. You shall be called, uh, I'm not even going to try to say that correctly, Hefzeba, which literally means this. I put the definition. It means my delight. And your land, Beulah, which means married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. What's God saying? He says, you've been forsaken, you've been desolate, you've been unfruitful, you've been barren. But now this is what God says. You will no longer be that. You'll have a new name. You know, we even do this now. I, I come from a city, maybe you've heard of it, Las Vegas. And we knew of Vegas as Sin City. And there's a reason a lot of people call it that. But no matter what we call something, can I just tell you, there's some of the greatest churches in the nation are God's raising up in Las Vegas. I love it. I love what God's doing in the midst of places that we think that God can't do something. There's, I, I just believe there's no such thing as a God-forsaken place. If Jesus has called his church there, if God sent his church there, his people, there's hope, there's a promise, there's a future. And we need to be careful that we don't just call things what we see or what we feel 
or how things are in the news. But we find out what heaven says and what God has purposed because that's what God intends. How many people look at their marriage as a ball and chain, a burden, instead of a great promise, something to be life-giving, something while it will take work can be the most rich and fulfilling relationship in your entire life? It has a lot to do with what you call it. It has a lot to do with what you see and what you say, what you really believe about it. And it starts with ourselves, that we oftentimes view even our own life through the lens of hurt, disappointment, failure, what people have said and what people have done and even what we've done instead of what Jesus has accomplished. Can I just tell you today, you're not what has been done to you, but you're, you are what has been done for you in Jesus. You are what has been done for you in Jesus. We sang it last week. I am who you say I am, that Jesus has come and he's purchased us. And our, our view of the world, our view of God, and our view of ourselves has to be seen through the light of Jesus. You're not your history. I love how God takes people throughout the Bible and he changes their name. He takes Abram and he changes his name to Abraham, which seems like a small change, but that's, that change was to enlarge his view. Abram meaning a father, but, but he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many, because he would be the father of many nations. God was wanting him to see. Now, when God changed his name, he didn't have a single child. He didn't have a single child, but he had a promise from God. And every time, every, God changed his wife's name too, <laughs> to Sarah from Sarai. And so God changed their names so that every time they would speak to each other, they were calling each other what God said instead of what they saw and what they felt. I mean, can you imagine, here's Abraham who's, I don't know, 90-something years old, and, and he's walking around introducing himself as father of many. <laughs> well, how many kids you got? Zero? Well, it's kind of an odd name. Yeah, but you don't know. This, this name came from God. Because I'm not what my present circumstance says. I'm not what people have defined me by. I'm not what hasn't happened or what went wrong. I'm what God says. I'm who God says I am. It's interesting. People will often take a snapshot of your life and define you with it. We see this all throughout the Bible, too, that people become known by their condition or their issue. You know, it's one thing when somebody, anybody who's ever dealt with something long-term knows what I'm talking about, dealt with a long-term issue physically, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. Sometimes you become defined, even in the view of other people, by your problem, by your issue, by what's not working or what hasn't happened right. And people begin to see you through the lens of an There was the woman with the issue of blood. Come on, church. Let's not define people by their issue. Let's not define people by their brokenness. Not, let's not define people just by the addiction that they walk through and the hurt that they've walked through. But let's declare what Jesus has said. I thought this was interesting. I heard this week, one of my favorite, uh, I don't know, one of my, I'm a big Star Wars fan. Okay, only two of us maybe. Uh, and, and one of the most iconic voices, I think, in all of 
Hollywood is James Earl Jones. And it's funny, I was watching this short documentary where they, were, they had the guy who did the original voice when they recorded the first Star Wars movie that aired in 1977, and the guy's voice did not sound like Darth Vader. Because I've heard my entire life what Darth Vader really sounds like. And then I heard the backstory is they found James Earl Jones, who of course has an iconic voice. Maybe you know him better as Mufasa. Okay, okay, okay I see where, where we're at. More Lion King fans than Star Wars, that's okay. But the guy who has the most iconic voice in probably movie history was actually a stutterer. He grew up a stutterer. Michael Jordan, I think the greatest basketball player of all time, personally. At least I grew up with that. Do you know, he was one of a few sophomores that was trying out for the varsity team. And they were only going to allow one sophomore on, and Michael Jordan didn't get the cut. He went home and cried afterward. Can you imagine being the coach that picked the other guy? (laughs) Albert Einstein was dropped out of school, I think, at 15. Students don't get any ideas. But he dropped out of school, and I don't know if this was part of it, but one of his teachers actually said of Einstein, said this about him. Now, if I just say, and we even use that as like kind of a, 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 a almost a smart aleck comment, you know, that Einstein. Like it, it defines somebody as a genius. Just the name carries an idea because he's one of the most brilliant minds in history. He had a teacher tell him he'll never amount to much. <laughs> Be careful who you let define you. I thought this was interesting, too. Uh, Walt Disney was fired from an early job because he wasn't creative enough. (laughs) God found a man named Jacob. Jacob's name described his history, meant heel grabber, could be translated as supplanter. And the idea was Jacob was somebody who always had to fight just to make it, just to get ahead just to survive. And one day when he's all alone, God meets him and wrestles with him in his tent. And and, and while he's wrestling with him, God's trying to do something in in Jacob's life because Jacob is somebody who's always strived with people. He struggled with people. But really his issue was he was really struggling with God. And God in this moment is wrestling with him I don't know why, I just know as a dad, I like to get down and wrestle with my kids, although my my boys are getting so big, they start hurting me. But I I love this, because in, in the wrestling, God changes his walk. And God says to him, what's your name? <laughs> if God asks you what your name is, it's not because he doesn't know. God says, what's your name? He says, I'm I'm Jacob. You're no longer going to be Jacob. Now you're Israel, which means prince with God. You've been a supplanter. You've been a heel grabber. You've been a a striver and a conniver. And that's who you've been, but that's not who you will be. And, And Jacob leaves that place no longer defined by his history. But he has a new name and he has a new walk. That's what God does. That's what God does. First Chronicles 4, 
Verse 9, there was a man named Jabez. You may have heard of him. His name appears in the middle of a genealogy, which is everybody's favorite parts to read in the Bible. And, and, and Jabez's name literally means he shall cause pain. He's branded with the name that comes from the circumstances of his birth. His mother names him based on the pain she experienced. And his name has become a curse that he's carried all the days of his life. But Jabez one day realizes, I don't have to be defined by the curse. I can be defined by God's promise. Jabez, verse 9, was more honorable than his brothers. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. 10, Jabez called on the God of Israel and said, oh, that you would bless me. It, it, It takes overcoming some things that you've been called some things that you've been defined by, that you've been even cursed by, to say, God, you can bless me even when they've cursed me. God, you can bless me even when life's taken from me. Jabez says, God, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me. I wonder how many of our prayers are limited not by God, but by us disqualifying ourselves in our own eyes from receiving what God has promised. I don't know, it's just human nature. I I found this even in the church. It's easier for us sometimes to pray for somebody else than it is for us to pray for ourselves. And, And what do I mean by that? Let me rephrase it. It's easier for us to believe that God will work in their life than he'll work in our lives because we don't know them. We know us. We, we don't know all their mess because we just see all the highlights they post on Facebook and how spiritual they look on Sunday morning. But we know that we just got an argument with our wife on the way to church. And, and we, know, we, we, know, we know how our day was and we know what we walked through and we know where we failed and where we've come short and we know all of that. We know our history. But Jabez says, God, I know I've been called one that causes pain, but God, you can bless me indeed. God, enlarge my territory. Don't let me be limited or defined by what I've been given. And so God granted him what he requested. I love that. Number two, start agreeing with what God says about you. got a few examples today, but I want you to catch this because this theme is all throughout the Bible. Right before Jesus came, God sends John the Baptist, and the circumstances of even his birth are a miracle, as God would send. It's so interesting to me how many times in the Bible God would give a child to somebody who couldn't have a child. Do you know all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were all married to women that couldn't have children? before they did. Come on, church. Don't, don't ever limit what God can do based on what you see. God could never use me because of my history. God could never heal me because of, you know, I, 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 it, it, listen, stop looking at that. Start looking at God's word. Start looking what God says, what God has promised. And, and so John's father is a priest, and one day he's in the temple and he's offering 
incense and prayer to God. And while he's there, an angel appears to him and says, you're going to have a child. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive a child, and you're going to name him John. You're going to name him John, which, which the meaning of John means a gift. And so you're going to have a gift, but you're going to name him something. And, and you know, John's father does what a lot of us do when God begins to prompt us or promise us or challenge us into areas that seem impossible. We go, God, how's that going to happen? His father says, um, yeah, my wife can't have kids. I'm kind of old. Are you sure? I mean, he's talking to an angel. And the angel actually responds to him and says, well, I don't know. Maybe the angel had a bad day that day. But he says, you're not going to be able to speak until these things happen. <laughs> and I, here's my opinion. I think there's a reason why. Because the purpose in this child's life was too important for him to curse it. Okay. I, I know it's, it's a little early this morning. You haven't gotten your donuts and all your coffee yet, and those chairs are a little too comfortable. But I want you to see this. In verse 59, some, so Elizabeth conceives she's going to have this child. And right as he's about to be born. Now, John's father has not spoken a word since the angel appeared to him. Nobody knows this. They just know all of a sudden his wife is going to have a child. In verse 59, so it was on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child after he's born. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. They were going to name him. That was the tradition. You name him after his dad. And so here's what happens. They're about to name this child. And his mother answered and said, no, no, he's going to be named John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. <laughs> so they made signs to his father what he would have him be called. And so he asked for a writing tablet. And here's what he wrote. His name is John. And they all marveled. And immediately, immediately, his mouth was open. And his tongue was loosed, and he spoke praising God. What, what happened? He agreed with heaven. He says, his, no, we're, we're not going to name him the way he should be named. We're going to name him the way heaven has named him, not the way people think. See, see, sometimes God hides your name, who you really are from people. And we... we we misunderstand it. We misunderstand hiding seasons. And we, we get frustrated why they're promoted and we're not. Why they seem to be getting what we've been praying for. Why, why they're married and we're single. Well, this happened and this hasn't happened in our life. And we get frustrated and don't realize that if there's a reason God's hidden your name, it's because he's protecting it. And if... God hides your name, it's because you don't need to go to somebody else for validation. Oh, church, if we would just get this. I wonder how many people are looking for somebody else to be their identity, to be their worth, to be their significance, instead of realizing God's hidden your name because he doesn't want, some, he doesn't want the wrong person to know it. <laughs> 
He doesn't want the wrong place to see it. He wants you right where you're created and called to be. And when everybody else said, that's not what he should be named, his father said, no, he's going to be named John. That's what heaven said. That's what heaven said. I love this. In Romans 4, 17, in the Message Bible, it says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life, and with a word, make something out of nothing. See, when God calls you blessed, (laughs) it doesn't matter who cursed you. When God calls you healed, It doesn't matter what the diagnosis. Come on, church. See, faith is not pretending like there's no problem. It's just knowing there's a name. There's a word. There's a promise from God that's greater. Number three, third and final point. Jason, the team, if they want to get ready. Jesus is the curse breaker. Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus took your shame on the cross. He took the thing that held you, that defined you, the label that was given to you, and he took it to the cross. We were once orphaned by sin, but we were adopted because of Jesus. We were once cursed by the law that we had broken, sinned against God, separated from God. The wages of sin was death. But the gift of Jesus, the gift of heaven, the gift of the grace of God is eternal life through Jesus. That we will receive him, we receive a new name, a new nature, a new promise. But can I just tell you, even as a believer, Sometimes we still carry old names that aren't supposed to define us anymore. We let the world define what's significant. You know, this, this isn't like an Einstein move, but I learned a few years ago that if I want to know how to have a better marriage, I don't go to all my friends that have messed up marriages for advice. Okay, three of you. If, if I'm looking for advice on relationships, I don't go to all my friends that have train wrecks of relationships. They've 
If I'm wanting financial advice, I don't go to my friend who's in debt and totally broke. Okay, we're, we're, we're almost there. Why are we trying to find identity and worth in a world that doesn't understand who it is? So how can it tell you who you are? But when you find Jesus, you find who you really are, who you were created to be. You're branded with heaven's worth heaven's value, heaven's significance. And because it comes from Jesus, the world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it from you. Whether people recognize your name or not, I'd rather, here's, here's two things I want. I want. I want to give the devil a headache every day. I, I want, there's these, seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts that try to cast out a demon and they say this we command you to leave by Jesus who, who Paul preaches and the demon responds to them because sometimes if you don't know who you are you're going to let the devil define who you are you're going to let the world define who you are. You're going to let your circumstances define who you are. Your diagnosis def- define who you are. And, and the de- the, this demon responds to them and says, well, I know Jesus, and I, I know Paul, but who are you? If you don't have an answer to that, you need to find that today in Jesus. I, I, I'd rather be feared in hell than known right here in the earth. And I'd rather be celebrated in heaven than recognized by any person. But, but here's what I want you to catch today. No matter what God's called you to do, your worth and your value and your name isn't just in what you do. It's in who God has called you to be. It's in what he said about you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Addiction doesn't have to define your life. Shame doesn't have to define your life. Fear, anxiety, worry, depression, they don't have to define you. They're not your name. Your name comes from Jesus. The one who purchased you on a cross the one who gave everything for you and for me. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.